What did the tree wear to the pool party? I don't know. What? Swim trunks. It's time for the showdown. Kids Public Radio. There are trees in California that grow so big and tall You could saw your way to China and you'd never see them fall Well I've been there and I've seen those trees and think they're mighty fine But they do not hold a candle when they're standing next to mine Cause I got this tree I planted about a year or so ago It's got leaves and stems and all the things that trees need when they grow There are trees, they say, in Brooklyn that can withstand any pain. They thrive on the pollution and they don't need any rain. Well, these trees, I've never seen them, but to trees I'd give a hand. You could probably take the dirt away and they'd find a way to stand. Cause I got this seed I planted about a year or so ago. It's got leaves and stems and all the things that trees need when they grow. That's the Green Chili Jam Band with trees. You're listening to the Children's Hour. I'm Katie Stone. I'm here with a lot of great people at the Outpost Performance Space in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and on Zoom. Hello, everyone. Hi. And who do we have with us today? Hi, it's Illuminata. Hi, it's Nina. Hi, it's Thorfinn. Hello, this is Cade. Yellow, it's Haley. Hi, it's Amaya. Hey, it's Evan. It's Daniel. Hi, it's Joe. Well, thanks for being here, everyone, on Zoom and at the Outpost. We're here today in a really exciting show. We're going to be learning about trees and forests. I'm guessing that we've got some forest lovers here on the Children's Hour crew. Any of you really into forests? Forests are cool, yeah. I love rainforests because there's like so many creatures and animals and plants. Forests are partially the reason of our existence, so. Yeah. And you know what, Nina, we're going to be learning exactly that, how we are dependent upon forests and trees as living beings on this planet. And the power that trees have to keep the planet alive is amazing. We're going to learn so much more about it from Wild Earth Guardians, Dr. Lisa Markovchek. This show also comes with a learn-along guide that meets and cites national education standards. You can find it at childrenshour.org. Look for this episode, Forests. Back in a moment. If trees could talk with tales they tell, I'm sure they'd get so gabby that the tongues would swell. The chatter away about the seedling days of hundred years ago is a long, long way. If I were a tree, well, I'd grow all gnarly My roots would be knobby and my limbs all snarly And moss on my back and squirrels on my knees would grow old and wise If I were a tree If I were a tree, I'd have lots of friends The wind would take me dancing when she came on again I'd have a ants and owls and bears and bees Everybody likes to live on a tree 
If I were a tree, well, I'd grow all gnarly. My roots would be nabby and my limbs all snarly. And moss on my back and squirrels on my knees would grow old and wise. If I were a tree. If I were a tree, guess what kind? A bristlecone or limber or a white bark pine. Or maybe a willow or a big dog fur. Or maybe an oak tree of the kind called burr. If I were a tree, well, I'd grow all gnarly. My roots would be nabby and my limbs all snarly. And moss on my back and squirrels on my knees are cold and wise. If I were a tree, Kind of the trees, cause they're older than you. No telling their adventures that they've been through. So next time you go out and climb a tree, don't break no branches, cause it might be me. If I were a tree, well, I'd grow all gnarly. My roots would be nabby and my limbs all snarly. And moss on my back and squirrels on my knees, I grow old and wise. If I were a tree, if you were a tree, how'd you feel if they caught you and they gouged you? Oh, what a deal. Someday you'd wake up, it's smart to find. Someone carved their initials and you're behind. If I were a tree, well, I'd grow all gnarly. My roots would be gnarly and my limbs all snarly. And moss on my back and squirrels on my knees would grow old and wise. If I were a tree, so next time you're out walking in the woods Talk to the trees and make them feel so good If you're a friend and you're feeling snug Go ahead and reach out and give them a hug If I were a tree, well I'd grow all gnarly My roots would be gnarly and my limbs all snarly And moss on my back and squirrels on my knees I'd grow old and wise If I were a tree if I were a tree, well, I'd grow all gnarly. My roots would be gnarly and my limbs all snarly. And moss on my back and squirrels on my knees that grow old and wise. If I were a tree. If I were a tree. If I were a tree. That's If I Were a Tree by Jim Stoltz off of A Kid for the Wild. You're listening to the Children's Hour. I'm Katie Stone. I'm very happy to be here with a lot of kids on Zoom and at the Outpost Performance Space in Albuquerque, New Mexico. With us today is Dr. Lisa Markovchik. She is a scientist at Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff, Arizona, and she's an ecologist for a nonprofit called Wild Earth Guardians. Welcome to the Children's Hour. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. I recognize some of your voices from listening to other episodes, and it's really nice to see you in person. Well, we're happy that you're with us, too. Your study includes how plants, fungi, and animals work together in cooperation. And I think that some people may be surprised to learn that, that plants and mushrooms, mycelia, can actually work together. Forests are really special places, aren't they? So special. Why? Well, some of our mature and old growth forests support species that can't live anywhere else, just for starters. As trees get older, they can also store a lot of carbon and continue to trap a lot of carbon from the air, which helps us with climate change in the very near term. Some of our larger trees do that more efficiently and more reliably and faster. And on top of that, 
There's a whole bunch of unseen, unheard communication and partnerships and all sorts of different dynamics going on. How many different kinds of trees is needed to make up a forest? It's not necessarily about how many different types of trees. It's usually more about the fact that there are trees and how much canopy cover there is, how old in particular some of those trees are, and the kinds of environment they can create. So for instance, if we have a lot of shade and a lot of fallen logs and a lot of what we call microclimates, which just means climates in little areas, so for instance, under logs and rocks and protection from wind, then it houses a lot more plants and animals. And the older those forests get, there tend to be more and more and different kinds of species that can live in them or need them for certain things like shelter. How old are the oldest forests? That is a great question. So I want to know, have you ever been around a being that's older than 200 years old? Mm, Anybody? Maybe a tree. <laughs> I just visited a cottonwood that was about, oh, I don't know, seven miles from here on my way here. It was 160 years old that they know of. But there's even more impressive ones. Bristlecone pines can be 5,000 years old. And even you guys maybe are familiar with like creosote bushes, even though we don't necessarily consider them a forest. They're more of a desert. But they can also be really old. They can be 11,000 years old. Wow. Now, for listeners listening everywhere else than the desert, they don't look like much. They look like a little bush. Like if you saw one, you'd be like, oh, that's just an ugly bush. But they're really pretty amazing little, are they considered a tree? They're trees. Oh, yeah. So if a bush is a bush and a tree is a tree, what actually makes a tree a tree and not just a plant? So generally speaking, let's start with what's a plant? What's a plant? It's a living organism that photosynthesizes to get what it needs. Yeah, exactly right. It captures energy from the sun. It traps carbon from carbon dioxide in the air and stores it inside of itself in its roots and its trunks and its leaves. It's also producing food. Basically, everything we eat is either a plant or has been fed by a plant. So then what's a tree? We talked a little bit about that. It usually has eh, more like one trunk and they get really big and thick. If you think about a bush, they might have multiple stems coming out of the ground, and they're usually thinner because there's a whole bunch of them. And they're kind of sprawly, and it's really cool actually because as some trees grow older and grow old, they become trees, but they could start out looking like a bush. So for instance, our junipers that we have around here, they can start out looking very sprawly, and they have lots of stems, and if they never get old, then they never actually become the tree that they could be. But as they get older, there's pictures of these same junipers with these huge trunks, and they're really tall, and they have a canopy way up in the air. And that is actually the same plant. It's just whether it's a youngster or whether it's an old tree. That's Dr. Lisa Barkovchik from Wild Earth Guardians. We have a learn-along guide with this episode about forests. Find it at childrenshour.org. Look for this episode, Forests. Trunk, roots, crown, bark, cambium. 
tree has roots, a trunk and a crown. The trunk grows up and the roots grow down. The roots grow down and spread all around and hold the tree firmly in the ground. Hold the tree, hold the tree, hold the tree, hold the tree. Hold a tree firmly in the ground. A tree has roots, a trunk and a crown. A trunk grows up and the roots grow down. The roots spread all around and hold a tree firmly in the ground. That was What Are the Parts of a Tree by Marias and Miranda off of Nature Songs. How are trees connected and how do they communicate? So they don't have like a centralized brain like we do, like animals do. Anyone want to guess why? Gosh, that is such a good question. I never really thought about if trees had a brain. They don't really need it. But they are breathing, and they breathe in air, and they are expiring. They are breathing out oxygen. So we know that that's happening in their leaves. So in a way, their leaves are breathing in and out. I think it's because of, like, heat and, like, they can feel the sun. They're connected in, like, tree roots. And so maybe they can, like, see that, okay, they're, like, cl- really close together, maybe. I feel like it's probably has something to do with evolution and how with tertiary levels, which is basically the food chain, how animals need something to eat. And so something needs to produce that first so more energy can continue going up to smaller animals to larger animals, right? Yeah, why would it be advantageous if you're liable to get eaten, or parts of you are, to not have a centralized brain or heart or... So it could regrow, because if you're saying that's easy, get destroyed, you don't want to have a centralized brain, because if that gets destroyed, then you can't grow up. But if it doesn't have a centralized brain, even if parts of it gets eaten, the rest of it can still go up. Exactly. So there's a whole bunch of people out there studying how plants can do all these different things that we might not normally think of. So they don't have eyes, but can they see? They're actually using the sun, right? So they have photoreceptors in their leaves. So they don't have eyes, but they can indeed sense light because they're actually looking for the light to use it to make energy. And so they can do things like that. They can also, they don't have ears, but there's folks out there studying how they use vibrations. So in a way, kind of like some of the insects and spiders and things that don't have ears as well, they they sense vibrations. And they use the vibrations kind of as a surrogate for sound because sound is just a wave. It is a vibration. And so there's folks out there looking at how they actually produce certain frequencies. And if you play those frequencies back to them, they'll actually grow towards the sound. Or let's say you have water in a pipe. So the the plant can't sense the moisture from the water, but it'll still grow towards the sound, even if it's just the sound of water. So they can do a whole bunch of things that we often don't think about, or maybe we have words for that we only use for animals 
But they do do these things. They move. They can grow faster to get back into the sunlight if they're in the shade. They can make room for their neighbor. And they actually use chemicals. So rather than talking, for instance, they can communicate with these things we call volatile organic chemicals. They will release different ones to communicate different things so they can actually tell their neighbors when they're sick or when they're getting attacked and call in the predators of the animal that's eating them. So if they're, say, an aphid eating them, they can send out chemical signals that actually call for the other type of insect that likes to eat that one to come on in and chow down. That's incredible. So what you're saying is that the trees we see anywhere, in the forest, on the street corner, they have a whole complex system of communication that not only with your immediate surroundings, so vibrationally through the ground, but also chemically through like pheromones and smells. Is that how yeah. they're doing it? Volatile organic compounds or chemicals that they release into the air. There's also, you know, I study mycorrhizal fungi and they're in the roots. If you're going to come into somebody's house, what's the first thing that has to happen? Knock. Knock. And then they're going to want to know who's there, right? Before they let you in, they're not going to let just anybody in. Well, plants and fungi, if they're going to work together and kind of invade each other's space, right, to form some kind of exchange organ, then they have to knock on the door and say, who's there? So there's a whole chemical signaling that has to happen in order for the plant to say, well, who are you and what do you want? So other than calling for help, what do trees speak about through the chemicals? We're still trying to figure it out. So there are many different compounds they can release. It looks like they can release them through the air as well as their roots and potentially through their mycorrhizal fungi. But we don't know what all the different compounds mean. So it could be like words, right, or letters even, where they have different combinations that mean different things. So there, there are some where people have identified that, oh, that one means, you know, that something's eating them and they're calling for help or they're not feeling good. But there are other ones that we still don't know what they mean. That's the voice of Dr. Lisa Markovchik. She is teaching us about forests. You can learn a lot more in our Learn Along Guide. Find it at childrenshour.org. Look for forests. You're listening to the Children's Hour, Kids Public Radio. We'll be right back. The Children's Hour is produced by the Children's Hour Incorporated, an educational nonprofit based in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We're listener supported at childrenshour.org. Electric Playhouse supports the Children's Hour. Find your play at Electric Playhouse in Albuquerque, New Mexico. It's fun for kids and adults who want to play like a kid again. Featuring 16 interactive spaces with constantly rotating games and a full restaurant. Families can play and dine at Electric Playhouse. Tickets and investment opportunities at electricplayhouse.com. The Children's Hour is supported by the New Mexico Humanities Council. Since 1972, NMHC has sought to engage New Mexicans with history, culture, and diverse humanities topics. Many thanks to the County of Bernalillo, New Mexico, for their support of our Learn Along guides that meet and cite national education standards. You can find them all at childrenshour.org. Thanks, Bernalillo County.
You'll see the tree he climbed in years ago The barn he built was gone But the oak was standing strong And the leaves they whispered down to us below You've got to stand a little taller Reach a little higher Laugh a little louder Though the wind might make you cry You've got to dance with every season Hope without a reason Keep your heart believing In the mighty tree of life Like the knots of bark that twisted round the trunk You've got to stand a little taller Reach a little higher Laugh a little louder Though the wind might make you cry You've got to dance with every season Hope without a reason your heart believing in the mighty tree of life I was barely four foot tall a little scared that I might fall and at first I wouldn't let go of his hand but grandpa didn't mind he said That was Mighty Tree of Life by Catherine Dines off of Hunkabunka 2. Remember, this episode comes with a learn-along guide that meets and cites national education standards. You can find it at childrenshour.org. Look for forests. We've talked a little bit about what makes a tree, 
And early on, when we first started talking to you, Kate asked, you know, what makes a forest? Is it a number of trees? But let's get more into that. What actually makes something a forest and not just like a bunch of trees in one spot? Usually a forest we consider has a certain size, so maybe bigger than five acres, for instance. It might also have a certain amount of canopy cover. So like we were talking about trees, especially like in my area, we have ponderosa pines and they often don't grow together. So they don't have interlocking canopies. And then there's also all of these relationships that we're talking about. So if we have left that area alone for a long time, those relationships have more time to build up. The microclimates that we were talking about have more time to get into place. And all these different layers of life, like if you go into, well, I was going to say the redwood forest, but even in, in like in Texas, and there's these old growth junipers that we were talking about earlier where we have them, but they're off, they often look like bushes. If you let them mature, there are all these different layers. So like in the space between the trunk and the branch, some leaf litter and dirt can collect there. And all of a sudden you have a whole new ecosystem just right there with some plants and bacteria and fungi. So we want, we're looking for this species diversity as well as some of that structure and function with the big canopy. But we're also looking for these really amazing intricate relationships that build up between those different species as time goes on. So over time, little critters like squirrels or or even mice or or birds love those sections where there's a bunch of debris in the arm of a tree. There are owls who need to nest in cavities in trees, so they actually need like standing dead trees or cavities in trees. There's caribou or what we know as reindeer. They will only eat particularly over the winter, they rely a lot on lichens, but lichens tend to only grow in sort of more undisturbed areas because they're very sensitive to, for instance, like air pollution and drying and things like that. What happened if we didn't have any forests? I don't know if we know what would happen if we didn't have any forests. I mean, there are grasses. They do photosynthesize. But trees have a very, very different effect. They have all this shade and canopy. They provide all this structure that grasslands don't necessarily provide, even though grasslands are amazing too. So I don't think we want to find out because if we take down all that canopy, we're going to eliminate a whole bunch of species along the way, probably ones we don't even know about because, you know, fungi, for instance, such a huge percent. It's like, somewhere around 98% still remain to be discovered. They're sort of what people have equated as the lungs of the earth. For instance, in the Amazon, where they are cutting down a lot of trees to make way for branches, there are a lot of dynamics in the air with warming and lack of water that result from that. So it turns out forests actually seem to attract clouds and rain. Is that true? They do. They do. How? Well, remember, they're affecting the temperature because they're providing shade. They're also soaking up a bunch of water. And then as they photosynthesize, they're releasing that water back into the air. So it creates this ongoing cycle. 
of attracting water, using water, putting it back into the system. How do trees reproduce? How do plants reproduce? (laughs) Very similarly to some other kinds of plants. They're not that different, but there are different ways. They could have flowers. They could have sort of wind-pollinated systems, so things like pine cones that we might think of. Similar to animals where you want that female and that male portion that come together to make a baby, they're going to have something similar, but they have it in their flowers or in their cones. And some trees will have, say, they can have a female and a male cone on the same tree or on different trees, for example. So they have different ways of doing it, but all kind of towards the same goal. That's Dr. Lisa Markovchik, and we're learning about forests today on the Children's Hour. Find our learn-along guide at childrenshour.org. Look for this episode, Forests. This is brand new with Sing Along Tim, right here on the Children's Hour. A long time ago, we used to live in the trees. Now we're chopping them down, building cities.
We're learning about forests today on the Children's Hour with Dr. Lisa Markovchik from Wild Earth Guardians. What do the relationships between trees and fungi and other elements of the forest do? We talked a little bit about mycorrhizal fungi and the fact that they knock on the door and enter the root. And then they form a special structure with the plant where they can exchange different things. So they might go ahead and find some water and give it to the plant, or they might find some nutrients that the plant needs. And then in return, the plant will give them some photosynthate or what they make in photosynthesis. There's also folks who are studying what we know as common mycorrhizal networks. And right now there's a little debate going on as to whether the scientific results mean what we think they mean. But it looks like there might be these networks of mycorrhizae out there. And we're trying to figure out if that's true and if so, how far they go. And if they do share resources between plants, because that's what some of the studies suggest, There's also what we call endophytes, which are basically fungi that live in different ways inside the plant. So often, for instance, in the pores or the stomata of the plant leaves. And in some cases, we don't know what they do. But in other cases, they seem to also help deter insects and things like that. My advisor, Dr. Gearing at Northern Arizona University, she has these amazing studies In pinyon juniper woodlands, there's two different strains of trees. One's really short, one's really tall. The short ones have a different mycorrhizal community than the tall ones. And if you look at them, you might think the short ones are kind of not doing so well because they have um, moths eating them. That's why they're short. But in fact, the short ones are actually more drought resistant because of the mycorrhizal community that they have. So she did these amazing studies where she showed that even if you try to give the opposite mycorrhizal community to those two different strains of trees, they want the mycorrhizal community that they normally have. And not only that, but if you expose them to drought, the one that's a more drought tolerant that has that drought tolerant mycorrhizal community the other one tries to sort of acquire that same mycorrhizal community. So we we have sort of some evidence showing that they're also helping plants regulate how efficiently they use water and how well they can survive things like drought, for example. What's the benefit for the mycorrhizal fungi to live on a tree leaf? Do they just, it gives them a place to live? So the mycorrhizal fungi are going to be in the roots The endophytes often will live in the roots or other tissues, but largely above ground in things like the leaves. In some cases, we don't know why they're there. We can't tell what they're doing. There's sort of hypotheses out there that maybe they're actually just kind of hanging out. And in other cases, they seem to help with things like deterring insects that would otherwise eat the plant. And so there's a whole bunch of really exciting possibilities with things like agriculture, for instance, where we could actually reduce the amount of fertilizers that we use or the amount of pesticides that we use by really advancing our knowledge in these areas and making sure that we're preserving some of these amazing forests where different species might be hanging out that aren't necessarily hanging out in sort of more disturbed areas because we might not know yet what they're doing for us. So we don't want to lose them. That's Dr. Lisa Markovchek. She's an ecologist. We're talking with her today about forests. We've got a few more questions for her coming up, so stick with us. 
trust you, little mushroom. Break it down, down, down. When a tree falls in the forest, bring life and you flourish. Break it down, break it down, down, down. Little mushroom, little mushroom. Growing on a tree that's fallen, that died in the forest. Turn the grave to a garden. Life and keep balance. Thank you, little mushroom. I trust you, you little mushroom. Let's break it down, down, down. When a tree falls in the forest, you bring life and you flourish. You're the biggest organism on the planet You make medicine and decompose organics You're not a plant or animal, you do your own thing Recycle nutrients so we can keep on growing Who needs Mario when you can be a toadstool? Give me some portobello, you can keep your tofu The fungal kingdom, you deserve a crown And I love the way you break it down And you break it down the Children's Hour Kids Public Radio. We'll be right back. United Way of North Central New Mexico supports the Children's Hour. Outpost Performance Space in Albuquerque, New Mexico is a proud supporter of the Children's Hour. The Children's Hour is supported in part by an award from New Mexico Arts, a division of the New Mexico Department of Cultural Affairs, and the National Endowment for the Arts. Support for the Children's Hour is also provided by the City of Albuquerque's Cultural Services Department and the Urban Enhancement Trust Fund. Token Ibis is a supporter of the Children's Hour. At Token Ibis, they know that philanthropy doesn't need more money, it needs more people. Users can direct Token Ibis money towards their favorite New Mexico nonprofits. Learn more and sign up at tokenibis.org.
watching our screens. We don't need to watch videos and escape reality. We can savor nature with the birds and the bugs. Taking all that sunshine, settling on our rugs. Take a walk in the woods, climb a mountain, cross a stream. There's so much to see, like a wonderful dream. We don't need technology to tell us what to do. We don't need social media to connect me and you. We can go outside with our family or friends. Enjoy the sweet fresh air. It's better in the end. Take a walk in the woods. Climb a mountain, cross a stream. There's so much to see, like a wonderful dream. just heard Jen Cleary with Take a Walk in the Woods. Before the break, Little Mushroom is brand new. Pierce Freelon and Nina Freelon from their Ancestors release. We're learning about forests today on the Children's Hour. The kids have a few more questions for our guest, Dr. Lisa Markovchik. Do different species of plants share similar DNA? Yeah, so it's kind of like animals. If we think about things like monkeys and chimpanzees, our DNA is really not that different from theirs. And it's similar in other kingdoms too. Things that are related share a lot of their DNA, but small differences can result in sort of the big differences that we see on the outside. It's really sad to look at maps of old growth forests. There's hardly any left, especially in the continental United States. Why should we care about our old, old growth forests? So part of the answer is that we want to preserve these reservoirs 
of species that might not be anywhere else. And for instance, older forests, while they might they might have more mycorrhizal fungi, it might also just be different mycorrhizal fungi. And so we want to make sure just along those lines of that example that we're preserving these reservoirs of diversity of our species so that we're not losing them. And then along other lines, they're really important because in the next, you know, 10 to 30 years, we really need to trap and store a lot of carbon. And these old growth forests are full of trees that are already full grown, have big canopies of leaves. Remember those leaves are the little factories that are taking carbon dioxide out of the air and storing it inside the plant roots and plant trunks. And I might add inside mycorrhizal fungal tissues that are underground. And so we don't wanna lose them because in the next 10 to 30 years when we need it the most, they're gonna be those powerhouses that are really storing carbon for us. And I think some people are cutting older trees and mature and old growth forests down just because they need to support their family and that's the only way they can bring in money. And then there's also, you know, a lot of folks doing it because they're trying to make sure that places are more resilient to fire. And so trying to figure out how to preserve our old growth forests and also balance all those other needs is really important. And that's sort of what we're trying to figure out at Wild Earth Guardians, where I work as an ecologist, is what does that look like? How do we make sure that people can earn a living and do the right thing, and also make sure that we're doing the right thing to protect these ecosystems in the long run? But thinking about all these different relationships and interactions that we might not otherwise be thinking about. So, I just want to point out to our listeners and the audience and the kids here that, you know, people live to be about 80 years old. And so if we were all planting trees in our lifetime, eventually, and not too long after we die, if we plant a forest, that will be considered old growth. Well, that would be considered mature. But imagine if you're planting trees even now, it's going to take that long for them just to get mature, right? Well, so it sounds like the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. So the next best time to plant a tree is today. Well, yes, except there's less than 20% of old growth forests left in the world. And for instance, in the U.S., it appears that about a third of those are, for instance, on forest service lands and, and they have relatively few protections. So it's not like, you know, the national parks or somewhere where they have guaranteed protections. I think that's surprising for people. I think if we think of something as a forest or a national forest, you would imagine that that's protected. There's a lot to learn. And if you are interested in forests, we need you to study them, just like our guest, Dr. Lisa Markovchik. She has been our guest today on the Children's Hour. Thank you so much for being with us on the Children's Hour. We've learned a lot from you. Thank you guys so much for having me. It was so great to be here with you and for all the amazing questions. If you'd like to learn more, we've got links and a learning guide at childrenshour.org. Look for this episode, Forests. Here's a little Ella Jenkins, Many Pretty Trees Around the World. all around the world there are many pretty trees all around the world 
There are many pretty trees all around the world. Here's a pretty tree now. It's an oak tree. It's an oak tree. It's an oak tree. It's an oak tree. It's an oak. It's an oak. There are many pretty trees all around the world. Many pretty trees all around the world. Many pretty trees all around the world. Here's a pretty tree now. It's an elm tree. It's an elm tree. It's an elm tree. It's an elm tree. It's an elm. It's an elm. There are many pretty trees all around the world. Many pretty trees all around the world. Many pretty trees all around the world. Here's a pretty tree now. It's a birch tree. It's a birch tree. It's a birch tree. It's a birch tree. It's a birch. It's a birch. There are many pretty trees all around the world. Many pretty trees all around the world. Many pretty trees all around the world. Here's a pretty tree now. It's a pine tree. It's a pine tree. It's a pine tree. It's a pine tree. It's a pine. It's a pine. There are many pretty trees all around the world. Many pretty trees all around the world. Many pretty trees all around the world. Here's a pretty tree now. It's a palm tree. It's a palm tree. It's a palm tree. It's a palm tree. It's a palm. It's a palm. There are many pretty trees all around the world. Many pretty trees all around the world. Many pretty trees all around the world. Here's a pretty tree now. It's a eucalyptus tree. It's a eucalyptus tree. It's a eucalyptus tree. It's a eucalyptus tree. It's a eucalyptus. It's a eucalyptus. There are many pretty trees all around the world. Many pretty trees all around the world. Many pretty trees all around the world. Here's a pretty tree now. It's a cedar tree. It's a cedar. It's a cedar tree. It's a cedar tree. It's a cedar. 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 Flowers.
From the Adventures of Kid Kaleidoscope, that's Old Oak Tree. And before that, Ella Jenkins from Songs Children Love to Sing. You're listening to the Children's Hour. We've learned a lot about forests, but there's still a lot more to know. You can find our Learn Along Guide that meets and cites national education standards. Look for it at childrenshour.org under this episode, Forests. We'll go out with one more brand new from Okie Dokie Brothers. We'll catch you next time for another edition of the Children's Hour. child of nature. Hey, hey, I'm a child of nature. Run, old skunk, idle-um, idle-um. Run, old skunk, idle-um, dumb. Run, old skunk, idle-um, idle-um. Run, old skunk, idle-um, dumb. Well, they wanted a skunk for fluffing and grooming, but all she gave him was a little perfuming. Hey, I'm a child of nature. child in nature hey hey i'm a child in nature the children's hour is produced by the children's hour incorporated a new mexico nonprofit Our show was written by Katie Stone with lots of help from all of us on the kids' crew. You can find photos, links, learn-along guides, and more about us at childrenshour.org. Today's show had production help from our senior producer, Christina Stella. Our learn-along guides are written by Jonathan Dunsky with support from Lorraine Archibald. Find our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts or go to our patreon.com slash the children's hour or ask your smart speaker to play the children's hour podcast we post our photos and more on instagram facebook and twitter find us at tch radio 
Our theme music was written by C.K. Barlow. The Children's Hour is distributed by PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and by the Pacifica Radio Network. Thanks for listening to the Children's Hour, Kids Public Radio.